Welcome everybody, my name is Karush AK and this is the Market Meditations Podcast. We chat with fascinating people from around the world to extract mindsets, routines, stories and habits to help you build richer lives. Today I am joined by our favourite cartoon pepper from Twitter, Salsa Tequila. He is an incredible trader that in the recent Bybit competition managed to pull a 4,000% return. He's been trading for three years, but it's been his life and his obsession. There is a huge amount we can learn from him, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Salsa. Hey, what's up, man? Nothing much. I'm just looking forward to this conversation with you. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I've been on a few lately, and I, I, I kind of enjoy them, so... Very curious to see what comes out of this and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, you've been really popular recently since you um, managed to win that competition. Yeah, uh, a lot of people actually ask me to go on podcasts. And honestly, like, I don't see the harm in doing that. If anything, you know, it's like a, a bit of hindsight analysis. It makes me rethink about stuff, talk about uh, trading related, related content. And I, I kind of enjoy it. So why not? Uh, that's interesting you say that because uh, I always feel almost selfish. It's it's an interesting dynamic, the podcast, when a guest comes on, such as yourself, who's um, proven so, so much trading success. Uh, as a trader, for me, that's like a privilege to have you come on and talk. Uh, it's interesting to hear that you also benefit quite a lot uh, from the process, not just the exposure. Yeah, I mean, it's like I literally talk about the subject that I like. Uh, it's kind of enjoyable. It's like a one-hour conversation when you just speak of trading. And uh, not only that, but it gives me free visibility on uh, Twitter, internet, YouTube, whatever you're... you're, you're um, it's like, a, you know, I give you visibility, you give me visibility. So it's, it's I see it as a win-win. Why not? Fantastic. And I, I mean... T talking about the ideas and looking over your trading, uh, I, I guess an interesting question, which a lot of listeners would love to know is, from these podcasts that have obviously spoken a lot about this competition in which uh, you finished with, correct me if I'm wrong, but 4,000% return? Yeah, that was, I think it was 3,950. So at the end, it was almost almost 4,000%, the final product. Uh, the day prior, it was almost 5,000, actually. I took a hit at the end. Yeah, I was very eagerly watching the end of that. The dynamic was amazing, um, which I will touch on. But before that, I don't want to move on from this. What have you learned over your last few podcasts talking about the trading competition? Well, it's mostly like hindsight analysis of what happened. But the biggest point is that those competitions are not necessarily your typical trading and like your typical trading journey. Uh, it's oftentimes, you know, you have to take big risks relative to a small account. So you got to play your cards right, start with the minimum amount uh, that they allow you to start with and try to build something that will compound into huge ROI percentage without risking, to, you know, if you start with like five Bitcoin, then you risk five Bitcoin and you're not going to get 4,000%. But if you start with 0 0.1, then you can scale size uh, pretty quickly if you get a nice win streak. So um, something that I learned as well is at the end of the competition, there's a lot of game theory going on, right? It's a, it's a team competition. And if, if, the, if, if it's very close between the first, the second, and the third, uh, let's say the third takes a big gamble, goes all in short, and the market starts tanking, he will catch up to the second and maybe the first, right? So it's like the risk pays or breaks uh, a competitor exponential like it's it's exponential the impact of the risk is exponential towards the end of the competition because um there's limited time to make big returns so if you go over leveraged towards the end that's what will make or break uh, a team and that's what we've seen yeah, absolutely and i love that you touched on the game theory because well we have a regular trading where i suppose the end goal is to continually make money until you plan to stop trading. Whereas with the competition, the goal is firstly to maximize ROI, but it's also to maximize ROI relative to the other competitors. Yeah, the price pool. 
Yeah, and given the discrepancy, how much would you say a trading competition represents uh, real trading ability? Uh, three weeks is very not much. I mean, there's a huge luck factor. There's there is a big skill factor as well, but there is a huge luck factor uh, in the sense that if you go bust at the beginning, like you will have to start taking big risks from the start because the winners, as we've seen, will have like four thousand percent ROI. So if you're not if you're trading uh, your typical two percent account risk per trade, you're not going to make into the leaderboard. No chance. Uh, you you maybe make ten percent in like three weeks if you're lucky, and then that's it. But um, basically, you have to take huge risks, and uh, tip, and you know when you're trading, in reality, uh, you're not going to risk that much relative to your account. You want to be consi- as cons- consistent as possible. And you know, if I trade my personal accounts, which do not represent my whole crypto stack, right? I keep only a fraction of my cryptocurrencies on any exchange at any given moment, and of that fraction of my crypto holdings. I only risk a fraction of the trading account, which is a fraction of my crypto holdings per trade. So it's a very tiny risk per trade that I typically take, um, which was respected by the competition due to the very small start. So let's say I start with 0.1. You know, typically I, I will risk more than 0.1 uh, Bitcoin in a single trade. So I was not disrespecting dis- dis- risk in terms of my whole uh Crypto trading, uh, tr- crypto crypto trading that I that I do from a day to day basis, but uh, relative to the account, it's very different. Uh, the results will be either insane or you go bust typically. Uh, yeah, so in absolute terms, you actually were respecting your overall risk management, and that also doesn't even take into account the. Uh, added benefits of the exposure and also you have to take into account the prize money so if anything you will be even even more respectable to your risk management uh, in that competition i would say that's that's fair because basically it's a lot of effort right you I, the big the big opportunity cost was mostly time uh, if i went bust i would have spent a lot of time trying to grind my balance up maybe lost 0.1 which is not much uh, 0.2 if I redeposited, but uh, overall it was not a big money risk. It was mostly a time investment risk. Uh, at the end, though, when I was very close to being the first, that's where the the money risk actually came in. And we, as we said, the, the game theory part where you know you have to take certain gambles to try to reach for the number one prize pool, uh, not because it's a good trade, but because. It's a gamble that's profitable given the potential reward from upgrading from price pool number two to number one. So, um, yeah, I would say it's it's it, it was real trading up until the end, just uh, with very high risk that would typically not be seen on the typical uh, account, like a, a regular trading account. I mean, two things I absolutely uh, love about you and your online persona, because obviously I don't uh, know you personally. Uh, You not only have a very critical analytical mindset, but you're very, very transparent. I mean, you openly admitted the immense luck factor that comes into the trading competition and then followed it up with that sort of critical reasoning that made it actually make sense for you as well to have entered the competition. Uh, This sort of thought out, this sort of mindset is what makes a successful trader. And I'm guessing is what allows you to be so unapologetically transparent on Twitter. I think a trait that most traders need to succeed is honesty towards themselves and, you know, uh, owning their decisions. And um, how do I say that? Accountability. So you need to be accountable for your decisions and you need to be honest uh, with yourself. There's there's something called hindsight bias. I could say that it was all skills and I got to the second spot only because um, I was very good at trading. I think I think it, it did require a lot of skills. Like I knew what I was doing for sure. And I would not have gotten there without a huge skill factor. But... What I mean when I say I got lucky is that there was a small chance that 
I actually hit the 4,000% ROI. I, I, I had probably more chances to go bust overall because I took big risks from the start. Um, the last competition that I participated, I think I went plus 150%. And then I busted the account and I lost the 0.1 initial deposit. Uh, from there, I just, uh, you know, I redeposited, tried again, and ma mainly chased my tail. It never really kick-started. Um, so, you know, when I traded for that competition, I was very picky on my entries. I knew what I was doing. I definitely had a big edge uh, versus somebody who, you know, just randomly smashes buy or sell and, and tries to catch a big move. I was not trying to catch a big move. I was trying to get lucky on my entries and exit uh, depending on what the market gives me, right? I was not trying to take bad gambles. So in that sense, there's a big skill factor, but a huge luck factor, as you said. So you got to be accountable. There's, you you got to not fall prey to the hindsight bias that tells you that, you know, this is reproductible uh, and normal returns. No, if I did that, um, if, I, if I try to run an account right now from 0 0.1 to... You know, I think I was at eight Bitcoin at the end or something like that. No, it was 0 0.19 start and I went to almost uh, to seven, seven or eight Bitcoin at the end, I think. So 4,000%. Anyway, um, if I tried to do that again, I might not get lucky uh, as I did. And I might just go bust and lose the 0 0.1 initial deposit. Continuing with the transparency point, because it's something I genuinely want to understand. Personally, when I started in the Twitter space, and I'm 90% certain you weren't following me then, um, how I started was I was literally journaling every single trade I was doing every single day. And this system was a scalping one where I would take anywhere from one to sometimes 20 trades a day if it was that crazy. And initially it was fine, but as my audience grew, I really struggled taking losses because I knew if I took that loss, I would have to show it to the audience. And something about that made me feel like I was doing something wrong. The fact that um, people started following my calls and decisions and then blaming me for their losses added this pressure, which made my trading worse. Yet you've been doing it so long and maintaining it successfully. And I don't think it's far from the truth to say it actually aids your trading as well. Yes. So I think it's important to be accountable. So if I post winners, I will post some losers as well. You know, I will post the wins and losses to balance out because that's what real trading is about. Uh, you have to be able to take a loss. And if somebody gives you, I was going to swear here, so I'll be careful with my words. If somebody annoys you because you take um, a loss, well, he's definitely not a trader because the reality is you will take a lot of losses as a, if, you, if you're a trader as a career. And you have, I would say it's even more important to be a good loss taker than, uh, than win taker. Because if you don't take your losses, you will dig a grave and go bust and will not have any more betting chips, right? So I share losses and wins. I used to live trade when I was a small account as well. And it was very easy. Like I would literally go on Twitch and I would live stream my BitMEX account and my journey. And I, I did I did great for a while. I got you know rough months sometimes. And overall, I just showed the whole process. And maybe there was 50 people following me, uh, a thousand on Twitter at first. As my audience grew, I couldn't do that anymore because people started, you know, I started to notice that my trades were getting front run a bit, which I suspect are due, you know, when you got 150 traders looking at you on Twitch live, Obviously, it's not a good idea to show that you have bids, a stop loss here or whatever, because they can front run your, your orders. They can front run not only my bids and offers, but they can front run my stop loss, which causes me loss. Um, it's unprofitable for me. So I cannot do live trading anymore. I don't really share my exact trades anymore. Sometimes I take a trade and I'll share it on Twitter because it doesn't really matter. Like if I... If I, I intend to short a certain area or I share I share a global trade, I'm not going to say where I will exit. Otherwise, people would front run me and that would be detrimental to me. So I try to keep it, um, you know, 
just just uh, let's say I take a long position or a short position that I do share for some reason, uh, which most of the time, like most of my trades, I don't share them because they're mostly low time frame calls. But if I take a swing trade and, you know, I don't mind sharing it, whether it's a loss or a win, I will show the result. I just won't say, you know, where I stop. I just won't disclose. I got a stop loss here. I got a target here because people would front run me for sure. Uh now, while I've never done live trading, I, I, this could be incorrect, but I feel uh, liquidity aside, as you scale up position, position size, especially once you start getting past, say, uh, the 500k mark, it, that sort of front running feels like it's happening a lot more often. You feel like it's harder to get your orders filled, but not from a liquidity. That's that's a different that's a different kind of front running, right? We were talking about uh, let's say you post a trade on Twitter, people will front front run you from your Twitter audience. Uh, you're talking about let's say you post a 500 mil bid, like let's say you post a million orders on the offer on Bybit at a certain price. People will see it directly in the in the order book and start front running you, so it's tough to fill it. Correct? Uh, yes. And I was wondering because I've seen you you've scaled up hard now that you've gone to a level which I don't take my trading to because um, trading is not my sole income, and I not only does the stress get higher once I exceed that sort of position size, but also it gets um, a lot more difficult. This almost feels like I have less of an edge and it's harder to make percentage relative gains once I scale up past that. So something that's for sure true is size. People think that size is that magical gift that helps you trade with a better, like gives you an advantage, but it's actually a hindrance most of the time. Um, Because if you think it in terms of downside potential, if you're trapped with some size, it's very tough to exit. Let's say not only that, but it's tough to enter efficiently. So my my sweet spot for scalping on Bybit, I, I, I used to say it's below 300K. So anything above 300K starts, you know, eating a bit on my edge. I would say I'm very comfortable with anything 1 million or below. Um, if I start going higher, you know, I, I have to scale with a lot of orders. So I need a very good reason to enter. It's not going to be... Um, you know, it, it's going to cost me if I get if I get stuck offside because there's not only um, the initial risk definition that on paper often looks pretty good, right? You let's say you take a fifty dollars stop or invalidation, um, and you're stuck with two million and you have to cut at your fifty dollar invalidation. You're going to get slipped for a couple dollars depending on the kind of impulse we get, and you're going to pay, pay a lot of fees. So the market fees as well as the, the slippage makes your risk much bigger if you use tight invalidations. So when I play tight ranges, I'd say any size that's above a million, it gets really sketchy. And oftentimes I will have to market execute uh, the position or a part of the position, which eats a lot on my trading edge. So yes, the more you grow, it's not necessarily scal- scalable to infinite. Uh, if you trade bigger size on very tight ranges, you will have a, a too big of a market impact at some points, and it's going to be impossible to take more than the market is ready to offer. Well, I definitely enjoyed that personal mentoring. Thank you, Salsa. <laughs> um, I guess where I'd go next is take it a little bit of a step back because here you are trading these immense position sizes and you're at a point which most aspiring traders dream of getting to. Where did it begin for you? Where did this skill set start and desire start to develop for becoming what you are now, which is an extremely successful uh, high-level trader? Well, first of all, I'm 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 a very, I'm kind of a beginner trader in the sense that I literally trade for three years. I trade since 2017, um, but I've been into gambling more importantly plus EV gambling um, since I'm like 12 years old. So I was I was um, using. I'm not going to go into details on which games I played, but. There, was, there, there are many MMO games that have 
virtual currencies inside them with a real world attached value, meaning people are going to pay real dollars to to buy goods on the video game. So if you um, if you can come accumulate wealth on the video games, you can actually resell it or buy it if, if you just want to, you know, boost your accounts or whatever. So I was doing MMO gambling on certain video games. Um, and I've been, I've been doing that since I was 12. So I had kind of a background into the ups and down roller coaster, risk management, uh, bankroll management. Uh, even if you have, you know, I, I learned many, many lessons where I went, I went uh, from very little, I was, I was, I was good at, at those kind of games. Uh, there was many variations through the years, but I remember when I was in, in high school, I think there was one up and down that hurt me a lot. I think it was, um, so basically it started, it started, um, I, I had 10, maybe 10 grand at the time. And I, I had a huge win streak in a month. In high school? Yeah, yeah. So maybe in high school, I, I made, uh, I don't know, 40, 40 grand in three months, which was insane for me. And I kept this quiet. My parents didn't know. I think that's insane for everyone for 40 grand in three months in high school. Yeah, yeah. But wait for it, because that's not, that's just one side of the coin, right? But just to illustrate the kind of roller coasters I went through at the time. And um, so basically I had a very big win streak and I made maybe 40 grands. I had, I don't know, five, 10 grands before that win streak. And now I was stuck with 50 grands uh, at 15 years old as a kid. And I would just keep gambling because why the fuck not? Sorry, I swear, I swear. <laughs> All good, man, keep going. So I just kept uh, going at it. And uh, eventually I got hit with a losing streak and I lost, I, I had a very small edge, but I would take it because I was kind of euphoric. I would take lesser odds than I would typically do, but I had an edge. So at least that was a good point, but I was betting too big. I got hit, I think with a 20 grand loss overnight. Um, so I was suddenly from 50K net worth, you know, I was a kid with no bankroll management at the time to like 30K. And then I went dry for like a week and I started wanting to make that money back. So I would, I would start, you know, gambling. I went on gambling website. Like I think it was, uh, the name was uh, Prime Dice at the time. It was a, basically a 50.5% odds casino where you would roll the dice and you got like 49.5% chances of doubling your money. So I would actually give odds and gamble on that. I lost all all the like the whole 40 grand and even a bit more I, 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 basically a 90 percent plus network drawdown so that was the kind of roller coasters that made me realize uh many lessons about um the nature of uh well my own na nature in in the sense that i would i would i would I would fall to those traps psychological where, you know, you go dry, you start gambling. Um, so emotional management was kind of something I've, uh, I've, I didn't nail before crypto, but I had a background that allowed me to, you know, not get hit as much. So basically I had those, I had those crazy ups and downs. And after that, that, that was just one of them. I, I, I illustrate it because, um, it was one of the painful ones, but I had many others, some on bigger scales, some on smaller scales, but it was kind of a roller coaster like that. And I learned many lessons. Uh, so first of all, two, two lessons that I learned that I think are invaluable are, uh, first of all, when you take a gamble, you want to have a positive mathematical expectancy to your gamble. And second of all, you want to have your, uh, your risk in check. You don't want to to put yourself at the risk of going into ruin. So you want to optimize your uh, percent risk in the sense that you're not, uh, your, your whole existence as a gambler uh, or trader or whatever you're doing, you're not putting yourself uh, at risk of being out of business if you, lose the, if you lose it or if you lose many in a row, depending on your win rate percentage, right? So in trading, you cannot know the exact mathematical expectancy of any trade if you're a directional trader. But what you can do is limit your downside and be very diligent in risk management. Uh, try to keep a, a positive mathematical expectancy, analyze yourself, take notes on yourself, and uh, 
try to keep a, a good track record, be clean and stay clear of those psychological kind of traps, which I fell into countless times, really. So that helped me, but I still got hit when I when I discovered crypto in 2017. Uh, I still got hit uh, when when the bear market in 2018 happened. I I, I still learned it over in, in into into the crypto space and um, got hit by the bear. You, you said you learned emotional management specifically. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So basically, when you're when you're trading, you have you you can easily, you know, let's say you you. You think uh, you take a big loss, right? You got to keep yourself in check. You do not want to go and revenge trade as in, I just lost money. I want to make that money back. Uh, Typically what I would do would just wait for the next opportunity, try to get very lucky. And sometimes it might take a day before you get anything that might pay you and maybe not as much as you want. But if you want to, if you want to keep yourself in checks, you got to be patient and wait for the next opportunity. And if you lose, that's it. You're at a new bankroll point and you got to do your best to work from there, from there. But it's very easy to feel like the market owes you something. And then you start, uh, you know, trying to make money fast. And that's the kind of emotional trap that leads you into a downfall. Uh, you're di- basically digging a grave, right? So there's a lot of emotional factors where that can push you into making mistakes. Uh, the fear of losing money, the fear of risk. Let's say you take a trade um, and, you know, you know from the start where your invalidation is, but then you, you, you bet too big, you start seeing your PL fluctuate again you and you, against you and you chicken out. And then the trade works perfectly, but you're out. Um, this kind of stuff, it's, it's mental right? Your your emotions lead you into making mistakes that you should not do logically. So uh, emotional by emotional management, what I mean is um, your emotions when there's money at stake are either can very much influence uh, your decisions for the worse. And you got to be aware of that and be able to monitor yourself and know your weaknesses. Uh, absolutely. And I guess you've been, you're able to do that from such a young age simply because of what you were exposed to. So that skill has just been drilled into you again and again, because you said ex- expectancy and risk of ruin. If you understand these two concepts thoroughly, your risk management sorts itself out. All you need are those two concepts understood? Then you need a basic understanding of technical analysis so you can form hypothesis on how to trade the market. And then everything else comes down to emotional management. That's the, the biggest challenge of it. I mean, however however you trade, whether it's technical analysis or you trade, like there, there's thousands of ways to trade. I'm not going to go into which one is superior, but... Basically, if you have a good bankroll management, you can keep your emotions in check. You know how to think in terms of keeping odds on your size, side and stacking positive expectancy whenever you take a gamble. You're putting the odds in your favor to succeed in the long run. So what does a typical day in 2020 look like for Salsa? Um, wake up, look at the market. Uh, see if there's any nearby good opportunities, place some bids or offers to try and enter if there's no immediate action to be taken. So let's say I wake up in the morning and I, I, I think it's a good buy at a certain price level. Um, I'll place some bids, try to get a, a lucky spike or place some offers if I think the opposite. And then um, I will go, you know, make breakfast while monitoring, eat in front of the screens, try to see if there's any, uh, you know, sometimes I... There's not only, uh, you know, passive bids and offers that I use. Sometimes I do chasing kind of trades when, when um, you know, there's a specific trigger that might allow me to take a trade either long or short. So I look for those kind of opportunities. I see if there's anything nearby. Um, then after I eat breakfast, I just, I, I typically take my bicycle and I work in a prop shop, right? So I go to the office. I spend my my day there. Um, I try not to waste time when the market is quiet. So let's say I'm I'm um, let's say I 
I got no opportunities to to take a trade because I trade mostly Bitcoin, right? 90% of my trading is Bitcoin alone. There's not always an action to be taken, but there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of monitoring before I get the trigger on the execution. So if there's really nothing, what I'll do is I'll either work on statistical work. Let's say I, I've got ideas to test. I, I want to I want to investigate new tools, uh, possible trading edges. For example, there's a friend of mine who sent me an ExoChart subscription. It's a platform that allows you to do kind of um, kind of uh, it's like a it's like a order flow trading, right? So if I got tools to investigate like that. Uh, I think it's important not to be skeptical, look into them, try to see if there's edge to be found objectively, whether it's a, it's a trading style indicator, uh, order flow, whether it's a statistical, statistical idea, you know, uh, for example, let's say you take a back test of the past 10 years and you say, okay, well, when Bitcoin closes uh, red on a Thursday, what's the kind of probability that uh, Friday sees some up upside? What's the probability that we hit Thursday open on Fridays? Stuff like that are good and contribute to edge. So I try to be productive and find some ideas to investigate that can help my trading. Otherwise, I can just do bicycle, read a book, uh, whatever, until like take a take a one hour one hour break and come back see if the market conditions changed and see if there's anything nearby after I wait for a while. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of waiting. Obviously, if I, I'm a Bitcoin trader, I'm not going to force a trade that's not here. Uh, that's that's emotional trap. As we speak, as we spoke before, you're trying to impose your own parameters to the market. You wait for the market to give you something to enter a trade. Absolutely. And when you mentioned breakfast, all I can think of is, I'm pretty sure it was you, a peanut butter pickle sandwich. <laughs> I mean, what is this madness? Oh, man, I, I, I eat a lot of stuff. I mean, that day, I, took, I think I took a hit the last, the, the previous <laughs> day, right? That's that's probably why you see this, this disgusting breakfast idea. But it was actually good. I think that was eggs and spinach and some salmon and peanut butter toast or something like that. Anyway, like what, what I mean is I, I like to eat breakfast uh, in the morning because uh and and also i'm a co coffee addict so i just eat my breakfast and coffee while watching the screens i think it's a good way to start the day is that psychological training you just torture your taste buds whenever you have a bad day <laughs> no nah, i was i think i was trolling that day i, I remember uh, you know some sometime i i i i mean like uh i took a hit so i, I will post a picture of a vodka bottle with with the little jello pack like uh, dinner is ready <laughs> yeah definitely um because you're so transparent we get to see the ups and the downs man yeah you gotta you gotta live direct literally <laughs> market's been absolutely crazy right now and something we spoke about before the show was lack of sleep during this time yep i mean it's so expensive to sleep, but going back to the game theory we were talking about earlier, there's that opportunity cost, isn't there? Because I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that does not trade as well when he's operating on low sleep. I totally feel that. And trust me, like I, I try to sleep every night a, a good amount, like close the cell phone, close the screens, close the positions and go to sleep when it's possible. But it's not always that easy. It's a 24-7 market. Sometimes there's big opportunities that keep you awake longer than you want. And uh, yeah, definitely, man, sleep is a like I, I wish this not market was nine to four sometimes. Do you ever how, how do you choose if you're staying up to make money or you're going to go to bed right now? Well, if there's something big that's happening, let's say, I don't know, the, the open interest is rising like crazy on BitMEX. Let's say in one day, there's a hundred million dollar of open interest that has risen. That could imply that a big move is coming. So I'm way more likely to stay awake overnight than if it's just not moving static. We had a big move. A lot of people got wiped and there's not much action. Um, maybe I'll put some passive bids or offer overnight at, at discretion, depends on the context. But if I sleep deprived, I need a good reason. 
Um, in the Bybit competition we spoke of earlier, like uh, I, I did sleep deprive a lot because I was going for a huge ROI percent in the three weeks uh, time period. So I, I had to to stand the chance, right? And it actually paid. I think my greatest return was uh, one night I made like 1,500% in a single night word of ROI percent. So if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have won. In that sense, it was kind of an incentive to sleep deprived because of that competition context. But in general, um, it's very unhealthy and it, it, it really gets to you if you sleep deprived every day. So I don't like to do that. I like to get at least my, at least a, a five, five to eight hours of sleep a night I try to get. How long does this journey continue for Salsa? I mean, what's the end goal with trading? Where is this taking you? I like to, I don't really, uh, that's the hard question because the way I view it is kind of a prison. It's never enough, right? Like you trade because you like to trade and you want to trade and you want to trade more, you want to grow more. And the more you grow as a trader, the more the opportunity cost of stopping grows with you, right? So let's say I stopped. Um, I don't really see the end of it in that regards. I don't have a monetary goal, financial freedom or whatnot. I just kind of, it's kind of a passion. Uh, my brain is always thinking of it and uh, I'm always into that kind of uh, grind mindset, if you will. Uh, it's excruciating at times because it, it, it literally keeps me awake at night at some at some times, uh, it's not necessarily the healthiest. I don't know if it's passion or addiction, the right word, but yeah, like I don't, I don't really have a specific goal aside from growing as a trader. I've only been doing this for three years, so I don't like to limit myself to some goals. Um, I'm just going to try to keep improving, um, stay humble and not get cocky, right? Because I don't know everything. Uh, I'm wrong often and I have very little experience. Uh, I, I work with some guys who trades for decades and I'm here for what, three years? I, I don't know shit in comparison, right? So I think there's a lot that I have to learn and there's a lot of potential. And um, I don't really know where this is going to lead me, honestly. I, I forget how young you are sometimes because... Uh, you, you're just, to me, you're that cartoon pepper, you know, you're that cartoon pepper trading lots of size. I forget you're actually quite young and just happen to be very, you, like, you may not have as much experience as those traders with decades of experience, but you have a lot of talent. It's like I've been trading since 2017, but it's been my freaking life since 2017. So I do have a lot of experience crypto specific in that regards. I don't think that, you know, even if you traded legacy for 10 years, I do have a good amount of trading experience, maybe not more. Uh, you know, obviously some, some traders are way more experienced than me, but I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not anymore a beginner at crypto trading. I know what I'm doing, but I'm far from the best trader I can ever be. And I'm far from having learned all the lessons that there is. So I don't think I will, actually, I don't think any trader, uh, even if you traded for your whole life and you're old, uh, you're probably still learning because the moment, in my opinion, the moment you think that this thing is easy, uh, it's where I always get humbled and I take the biggest hits. I don't know if you ever played League of Legends, but there was a character on there called Master Yi and he has this incredible quote, which is, a true master is an eternal student. And that really is someone who really wants to master a craft. They have to be a student forever because there is no end to it. it there's always room to improve. It's an endless fractal, man. It's a freaking prison. <laughs> but I like it. really is. And I like it too. That's why I'm here. But I'm comfortable with the level. I no longer have that insane desire to continually scale up, scale up, scale up. Because for me, the main thing is I, I don't have any more monetary needs that aren't being met. So making more money just doesn't motivate me. And I mean, I, I see your Twitter feed, like you're just trading to trade. Like, do you have any monetary goals, anything you're trying to buy or spend money on with all this effort? I'm not a big spender. I think that if I ever spend money, it will be after I paid 
my taxes in full because I don't want, I, I'm, I'm like totally afraid of buying, let's say in expensive real, real estate. And then I realized that, uh, you know, I paid my tax, like I have to pay my taxes and I, I, I spent everything in the freaking house and then I owe the, I, I owe money. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm not very a big spender to begin with. Like I live in an apartment. I don't really, I don't really like expensive cars, but eventually I'd like to get my own place. Maybe in the next few years, I'm not in a rush to get it. Uh, maybe by the time I'm 20, I'm 25 years old, I'll have my own place, right? I'm 22 right now. So I give myself a few years, you know, trade, um, have fun around. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to hit me in the future. Uh, it could keep going very, very well. It could go to shit. And I like having that kind of caution that, you know, I, I have a very enjoyable lifestyle right now. It's not costly. It's not above my means. And um, I don't see why I would change that in any form of rush, especially with the coronavirus. Um, I will definitely use my money to travel around, uh, buy real estate. So those are projects that may be considered monetary gold in the sense that uh, that costs money and that's definitely going to happen from my trading. If it happens, um, obviously I could already do that, but, uh, for traveling, it's probably not going to be before 2021 at least. Uh, so yeah, monetary goals. Like I, I trade to trade really. I want to, I want to improve as a trader at this point. I trade from a place of comfort in the sense that I'm not in, in pressure. I don't need to make money from trading to live anymore. Um, I have more than 10 years, you know, maybe 20 years of, uh, after I, I will have paid my tax after this year's taxes will be paid. I will have 10, 20 years of expenses at, at the current rate I'm living covered for me. So it's very comfortable and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I think that's a big factor as well for my trading. I'm not pressured to make money. I'm not tempted to take trades. I shouldn't because I need to make that money. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from that, I don't, I don't have really financial gold as of now. Maybe in the future I will. You're not materialistic at all. You're extremely humble. You come across as calm and collected, except sometimes I do see this other side of salsa, this side of salsa that really doesn't like paid groups. And I had to ask you where that stems from. Yeah, so I think paid groups are like you're scamming yourself if you join a paid group, basically, just because most paid groups, uh, you know, most paid groups are run by unprofitable traders. Maybe there are a few exceptions, but you cannot know which. And I would never go and try to guess. It's like uh, the shitcoin games, right? The uh, 90%, 99% of the shitcoins and coin market cams are all a bunch of scams. But the dangerous part about paid groups is they're not only scamming you for money, they're scamming you for a lot of time. They might mislead you into a path that will lose you a lot of time and they will bill you a freaking monthly fee that's exuberant, like a, it's, it's stupid. So I think any paid group, I don't care which one, uh, if you join a paid group, it's a stupid move. It's wildly minus EV. You're wasting time money and possibly uh will be led into false beliefs so i think paid groups are probably like a terrible they're, they're, they're basically a terrible gamble and I, i'm totally against it so what how does a new trader start what what's the best way to get into trading? you trade a lot but first of all what i always recommend is nail the risk management part uh, if I knew that from the start, instead of losing for 18 months straight, I maybe would have lost for, I don't know, uh, half of that. Like you, you will typically have, you will typically start by losing that. Like you have to trade a lot. The best way to learn trading is from trading a lot, not just a little bit. Um, you know, every day you take trades, you keep track of yourself, you keep statistics, everything. First of all, two important parts before you get to that is one, nail the risk management basics. I always refer people to CryptoCred's uh, Medium article and YouTube video because it's free and it covers it all. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to risk management, just go watch CryptoCred's free YouTube video on risk management and read his Medium article, make sure to understand everything. That's it for risk management. So aside from risk management, you also need 
to be able to understand your exchange, where you're trading, the different order types, uh, the specifications of your exchange, how it functions in general. You need to understand everything about the exchange you're trading on because that's literally the, the basics. Um, so once you got those two nailed, trade a lot, keep track of yourself, uh, build statistics out of you know what comes through the months. It will take a lot of time. Uh, trade with real founds from the start, I would say. Uh, just a small amount. You will lose at first, though, so be aware of that. But you need skin in the game. It's not the same if you're paper trading. I don't believe in paper trading. I think you need to have some kind of skin in the game and be ready to pay some expense fees. But uh, once, it, it might take a long time, but eventually, when you get three months of consistent profitability or more in various market market conditions, I think you're ready to size up, not before. So risk tiny, um, trade a lot. Eventually, when you're three months plus profitable, uh, that's when you you will be ready to scale up the size. Wow, that's fantastic advice for anyone listening. And we are drawing to the end of this podcast. A question I like to ask the guests at the end of the podcast, and there's an option as to which one you want to answer. You can either share the trade you have taken that you are most proud of. This could be the one that's most profitable, the one that uh, you skill-wise did the best on or anything sentimental attached to it. Or you can do the polar opposite and give us the one you are absolutely least proud of. Uh, The floor is yours. Hmm. The trade I'm absolutely least proud of, I'm actually going to go with direct because that's the one that marked me the most. Uh, Off the bat, I know exactly which one was the most painful. And it was not a good trade at all. Like it was back in 2018 when I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, can I share a screen of this? Uh, I don't think so. All right, so I'll explain. It was in 2018, after the 2017 bubble. There were a couple bounce, and there was one specific bounce to the 9K area, 9.8K, if I recall correctly. Let me find it on the chart. Uh, I will just describe it vocally because I don't think there... Uh, you know, I, I, there's no share screen option. I don't see it. So yeah, give me a sec. So the trade was uh, in May 2018. It was right before I took a vacation. And I was an absolute degenerate at the time. Like, you have no idea. I, I had, you know, I, I like to think that I was not a bad trader in the sense that I could find profitable opportunities. I had a nose for, you know, many patterns and uh, trading techniques that actually worked for me at the time, but I was a very terrible risk manager and I will be 100% honest about what happened here. I was trying to call the top while literally using 100x leverage, like the macro top. I was about to leave for vacation for for three weeks and I was trying to take a 100x swing trade as my entry. And I actually almost nailed it. And I'm not sure if it would have been a good thing if I nailed it, because I would have made a lot of money uh, and it would have got me cocky, right? But instead I got the polar opposite and it was the biggest wreck I took in 2018. So what happened is we had this kind of uh, down move from the 2017 December top from 20K to uh, 5.5K. Then we bounced into 12K, dumped back into 6.5K, and then we pumped into 9.8K. My idea was short the highs, go for a three, three, for a three weeks vacation. And that's literally what I did. I was going to Puerto Rico with some friends. Um, what I did was very stupid and I'm not going to change anything of what happened. Market pumped into the highs again at 9.8K area. I took, I think it was, you know, something like 70x leverage. I was basically risking my whole account with liquidation as stop loss. I did not know that uh, you save money when you, you when you use a mark price stop before liquidation. So it was whole account at, at stake. I was all in from 9,800 area. And I was literally going to hold without a take profit for, for at least a couple of weeks. So I took the trade. I think it was on May 3, looking at the chart. So I got the fill around 9, 8, uh, 10 or something like that. And then I closed it. I closed the BitMEX account. Uh, I was departing literally two days 
after that. And I got liquidated on my departure. So what happened is the top was around, the top was exactly uh, like the top of the, the freaking year. Uh, after that, it literally just collapsed into 5K and, and below. Um, so the top was $9,970. My liquidation must have been around $9,900. My entry was around $9,800. I got liquidated above 9.9K at the absolute top. And I was going to hold that trade for multiple weeks. Uh, it was a seven digits position. It was huge for me at the time. I, I, was, not, uh, I was not rich at all. So that was my, my whole BitMEX account, which was a significant portion of my cryptocurrencies. I got liquidated for it all at the absolute top. And then I went to vacation knowing that the market was collapsing I still had some spot exposure as well on top of that. My short was liquidated at the absolute top at 9,970. And when I came back, the market was trading around 7K from 9,970 9 top. So the market literally liquidated me at the top for the biggest position I had ever taken to date. And when I was back, the market was down 30% from my entry. So if I did not get liquidated that day, I would have made, you know, a lot, I would have more than doubled my net worth. So I'm not sure if it if it's a good thing I got wrecked. I believe it's a good thing because honestly, it could have it could have been the kind of mistake that gets me cocky and leads to an even bigger downfall eventually. But that was my biggest wrecked ever. My stomach's turning just listening to that story. Yeah, so at least in 2018, that was by far the biggest hit I took because it kept me from enjoying my vacation fully for like a couple of weeks. So that kind of sucked, but that was a great lesson for trading at the very least. Uh, that's pretty much the story. I got liquidated for a huge position at the absolute Pico top and I was going to huddle for the whole vacation. What an insane story to end this podcast on. Salsa, thank you so much for your time. And um, Again, sharing that story so transparently, a lot of people can learn from it. And I also agree that it is beneficial that you got wrecked there because look at where you are now. Clearly trading wasn't going anywhere. So imagine reinforcing a terrible habit like that with a huge seven, six figure win. It just, there's no way you would have won with that. Yeah. And I did not even have that kind of, that kind of money. Like it would have literally made me rich over like while while in vacation and I'm, I'm not sure how I would have reacted so yeah definitely like it, it it happened it's behind me and I'm pretty happy it happened overall because I don't know what would have happened and it doesn't matter anymore well uh Salsa before we end the podcast is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with trade safe <laughs> <laughs> absolutely love it thank you so much for your time Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Market Meditation. If you enjoyed yourselves and you learned something here today, do consider subscribing to our newsletter to receive news, analysis and education directly to your inbox three times a week.